Well, good morning. You have that puzzled look on your face. Yeah. Like, what's that? I'll explain in a minute. Okay. That is correct, though. So turn to the book of Ruth. That's right. Yeah. I'm moving on to happy messages. No, I'm just joking. Yeah, I tried, guys. I tried. All right. All right. Yes. So let me explain. So, uh, you know, honestly, I just, as I was preparing this week and, um, just the Lord was kind of convicting me on something that uh, I had listened to a song and a thought a song came to my mind and it's a song by Josh uh, Josh Wilson and it's called the song I need to hear and um, the song kind of talks about I was gonna play for you guys today but it's you know whatever it's it's a song and it's it's talking about the fact that he's trying to write a song for others and he's like, you know, what if you don't like it? What if it doesn't, you know, if it sounds trite or if it just sounds like it's just something that I don't understand exactly what you're going through. And he goes, ultimately, I want to play a song. I want to play a song that I need to hear, you know. And I thought, you know, right now I need to hear this message. So I approached it rather than teaching you guys. I approached my study this week of, Lord, what do you want to teach me? and the things that I'm going through and the challenges that I've had over the last couple of years. What is it that you're teaching me through this? So I went and I, I op kind of opened up my Bible study app and I just typed in one word. And the one word was hope. And I found that in the uh, Christian Standard Bible translation, there was 166 references of hope. And I thought, oh man, I got my work cut out for me here. How am I gonna narrow it down from there? You know, I'm not a good topical guy. And in uh, the very first passage was found in the book of Ruth. And I just started thinking about Ruth and I started thinking about just what that book symbolizes and all the things that are contained in it. And I was like, you know what, man, if there was ever a book that talks about hope, it is in the book of Ruth. So we're going to transition today and we're going to study the entire book of Ruth. Okay, and that's going to really blow your minds. We will be out of here before two or three o'clock, something like that. Okay, but we'll, uh, I think I can get it narrowed down. But we're going to turn to the book of Ruth as I want to share with you what the Lord taught me uh, about what do you do when you feel like all hope is lost? As a Christian, what do you do? Because unfortunately, you will go through times like that. You're going to go through times where you feel like, you know, I, I want to have hope. I believe that there is hope, but I feel like all hope is lost in this particular situation in my life. Now, if you remember too, what is hope? Hope is not, I sure hope I win the lottery or I hope today is gonna to be a good day. That's not, that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of good. It's a confident expectation of good. It's not based on your feelings. It's not based on your circumstances. It's based on the one who gives hope, the one who provides hope. So it's really based in God. That's what hope is. It's based on our confident expectation of good to come that only God can provide. Nothing else can do it. So let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for, again, I, this message was important for me. I feel like you spoke clearly to my heart. I pray that you would now take what you have taught me and help me to teach others and uh, help it to be something that would be encouraging to them and maybe in whatever circumstance they have found themselves uh, where they're starting to feel a little hopeless, like it may never change. 
And how do we go on living in the midst of those situations? How do we continue to trust you, Lord? I pray that you would help us to understand more through your word and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in, a, in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields, they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. So here you have right at the very beginning, there's this Jewish family, which would have been pictured as the ultimate family. You know, husband, wife, two children, and their boys. And that would have been very, very important in that particular culture. But somewhere along the way, in the midst of their blessed life, life got very complicated. It got very hard. And if they had a comfortable existence, that was completely shaken to the core. Famine swept through the land, the land that they grew up in, the land that they loved, everything that they had known, where their blessings had come from, what they had experienced, and famine came in, and it forced them out of that situation, that comfortable existence. So the husband, Elimelech, as the lead, decided to take the family to a foreign land, the land of Moab. It was a land that many times over, as you study the Bible in the Old Testament, you'll see it was a thorn in the side of everyone within Israel. But he decided of all the places to go as a Jew, we're going to go to Moab so that we can solve these issues, these problems. We'll have a quote-unquote better life there. So they did. And then a series of unexpected tragedies began to happen in their lives. In verse 3, it says, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth, after they lived in Moab for about 10 years. Both Malan and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. So just think about this. She had been led to this place by her husband, which is biblical. I do believe that husbands still bear a responsibility to be leading our, our families in godly ways and trying to help them. So she had done that, or he had done that. He had led them into this place that he felt was best. They had gotten there, and shortly after they arrived, the husband died. Just think of how tragic that would be. I mean, we, you know, we live in a day and age where... Yeah, I, I think about, you know, if something were to happen to me, how would that affect my family, my wife and my kids? That would be devastating for them. But there's resources that are available in this particular culture where we know that they would still find a way to be taken care of and other family members and stuff like that. But it would be devastating. Imagine if you lost your husband and then 10 years later, your, your kids, your boys are getting saturated by this, this pagan culture that they are living in because they don't have the means or resources to move back, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, they marry Moabite women. Like, they're getting saturated into it. And you as a wife, you're watching all these things. I lost my husband. I'm in a foreign land. And now my sons have married Moabite women. And then it doesn't even say what happened, but both of them die. I mean, imagine how hopeless you would feel in the midst of that. Imagine how hard it would be in the midst of that to keep on going, to keep on pushing through. She was in a terrible situation. 
Instead of getting relief once her husband died, I'm sure she was, I'm sure she was crying out to the Lord. I'm certain she was. It seemed like the problems just kept on piling on. You know, and sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where it's like, as believers, we're, we're in a hard situation in life, something that's very difficult, maybe the hardest thing you've had to endure. And you're, you're crying out to the Lord for relief, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be optimistic, and this is going to change. And then the Lord allows other things to go wrong. It's like piling it on, and you're like, I lost my husband. Now I've lost my two sons. Now I'm in a foreign land. What am I supposed to do, God? And that's, that's hard. When you feel like instead of giving you some relief in the midst of your circumstances, he's allowed even greater challenges to come in your life. And if you walked with the Lord for a while, you know that sometimes that's the way it goes. That's sometimes the way life happens. Where you, in your flesh, you just want relief. You just want to be taken out of the situation. You want to escape it. And you think that would be best for you. you in your mind, that would be the best solution the Lord could do. But instead, he allows other things to come in, which push you down further and further and further. And you find yourself asking, how much more, Lord? How much more can I endure? Why aren't you relieving this? So she tries to get her life going in the right direction now. She doesn't have her husband. She doesn't have her sons. And in verse 6, it says, She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by our two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. You know, when life gets this hard, you start looking for hope anywhere you can find it. When, when it really things are piling on and you're just, you're looking for hope. You're looking for, give me something, Lord, that I can, that I can hold on to. Something that will encourage me to keep on going. Something. Often those conditions, though, when you're in that place, the only place that you seem to see any hope is in other people's lives. <laughs> you look around and it's like, they're blessed. And that's going pretty well for them. And all these great things are happening. Why is everyone else getting blessed, but I'm going through difficulties? Naomi's sitting there, and she's in this foreign land. And in this foreign land, she's starting to hear the only place where there's hope for food and provision is back in the place that you came from. And it's because God is taking care of his people. And she starts hearing these things, and she's like, they're being blessed. And she wants to go back to that. So it forces her to return. It forces her to return back to what she once knew. It's interesting in, in verse 6 when it says, because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. That's kind of the mindset we get into when we're struggling for a while. You're like, he's paying attention to their prayers. He's not paying attention to mine. He's not answering what I'm asking him to fix. But she's like, I'm going to go back to where the Lord's paying attention. I'm not going to stay here in this situation. 
She and her daughter's-in-law packed up their lives and set out to make that change. But as they went, Naomi exhorted them to go back to their Moabite homes in peace. She says, get married, live with another husband, and get some rest for your life because it is too hard what you're having to endure. She's like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Why don't you guys just go get married again? Find some new husbands. You're young and move on with your life and be blessed. Go back to a trouble-free life. And that's another common feeling when you're stuck in hopelessness. You start feeling like you're the Jonah in the boat. You know what I mean? It's like, if anybody else is in this boat with me, you're all going to go down because this is my life. My life is so bad right now that if you try to walk with me through this, all I can do is bring you down. Throw me out. Go on without me. It's best for you not to associate with me. I'm not going to return your phone calls. I don't want to bring you down anymore. Just go on with your life without me and live a trouble-free life because obviously this is something God is doing to me. It's best that we're separated. You can start feeling that way when you feel hopeless. I don't want to talk to friends. I don't want to go anywhere. I, don't, I, I, just, I have too many problems of my own. I don't want to put this on anyone else. And you start isolating yourself. You start pushing away from everyone who's trying to help you because you feel there is no hope for me. Go on with your life. And that's a dangerous place to be when you lose hope. But there are some people that are wise enough to, and care enough not to do that to you. By the grace of God, oftentimes there are some people in our lives, there may be one person in your life in the midst of hopelessness, and you're trying to push everybody away, but they're wise enough and they care enough to say, I'm not going to leave you alone in this. I don't know what I can fix for you, but you're not going to push me away. If anything, you need somebody right now. You need somebody to help you. People who choose to walk through the storm with you knowing that it's going to be rough, but that you desperately need them at that moment. So verse 10, it says, They said to her, we must insist, I'm sorry, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 13, listen to the depth of hopelessness Naomi was feeling at that moment. My life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She now thought, she's like, God is chastising me so bad or he has become my enemy for the things I've done. It's better for you to depart. I don't want you to be affected by this. Have you ever been in a place where you felt like God was actually, his hand was turned against you because so many things had gone wrong? So many things had taken place where you're like, okay, I'm praying, 
I'm in the Word. I'm doing my best, God. And the situation is just getting worse. See, as believers, we understand something which is a difficult truth to understand, but we know that God is sovereign. We know that if he wants to fix something immediately, he could. It's not that he's too weak that he can't. It's that he's made a decision for whatever reason, unbeknownst to us. He has decided this must take place. And he doesn't explain to us why. It is just hard in that moment to keep on pressing on and trusting him when you feel like the Lord's hand has turned against you. Obviously, there was nothing else that explained all the, the hardships that, you know, she was enduring. She knew that God could have removed that trials, but he wasn't doing it. He was piling it again just more and more. So Naomi was trying to cut the girls loose and go on and have happy lives without them. It's interesting because you do see, now some people give, I want to call her Oprah. I'm sure everybody else does. Orpa. Okay, Orca. That I, I can remember better. Okay, Orca. You know, some people really point out that she was just really a horrible person and really dog her for, for leaving. But you know what I found is sometimes people are not able to walk with us through the things we go through. They can't handle it. I mean, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. I mean, they want to. They love you. I mean, she loved her mother-in-law. She loved her. She was like, we will go with you. But then, you know, Naomi's like, you really need to go and get married and go back to your family. And this is going to be a hard road. And it says that she wept bitterly and loudly. It wasn't that she didn't love her. It's that she couldn't, she couldn't carry the things that, were gonna, that she was going through. And sometimes people have to leave us because they can't, they can't deal with it. They just can't. And it's not always wrong. Sometimes they're just not in the place where they can carry the load. They can't do it. But then you have some people, like Ruth, and it says, not only did she say, did she say, I'm not going, it says she clung to her. She clung to her. To cling, that means to hold tightly, to remain close, and to refuse to let go. When you're clinging to something, it's like you're saying, I refuse to let go. I'm not letting go of you. No matter how hard this gets, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to be with you through thick and thin. A lot of times I think of marriages that way. There are things that happen in marriages sometimes which will push you to your brink. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's finances. Who knows what the situation may be? But somewhere along the way, one spouse has to say, I made a vow to the Lord and to you for better or for worse, and we are going to make it through this. I'm going to cling to you right now, no matter how hard this is. And wherever you go, that's where I'm going. Wherever this situation takes us, you will at least have me. Even if I'm imperfect, even if I can't solve these things for you, I will be there. If nothing else, I will be there. Verse 15, Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, 
Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever, where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do severely if I do any, if anything but death separates you and me. Talk about resolve. She's like, she didn't say, well, first of all, tell me where are we going to go and what are we going to do? Tell me the plan so that at least I know what I'm getting into and then I can decide. She's like, no, wherever you go, I will go. Whatever you do, I will do. Wherever you live, I will live. And wherever you die, I will die. Do not tell me to abandon you again. Do not push me away. Guys, that's faithfulness. That is faithfulness. You know, last week I mentioned, you know, that's a quality that I think is rapidly deteriorating from this generation. Faithfulness is going away at a very fast rate right now. It's like a, it's a quality, a characteristic of men and women that is going away in our culture. In fact, based on what I've experienced over the last few years in both work and unfortunately even in, the, in ministry, um, I, I've seen it more and more. I've learned that true faithfulness is a very rare thing. Faithful people, it's a very rare thing nowadays. Where it used to feel like you had lots of people that were faithful. But to a certain extent, you know, true faithfulness will always require a certain amount of personal sacrifice from the person who remains faithful. And that's why they're faithful, is they're willing to sacrifice to some extent in order to remain faithful to you or to a circumstance. And I believe that's why faithfulness is, is going away. Because people don't want to sacrifice. If, if there's any sacrifice whatsoever, I will find some other situation that doesn't require personal sacrifice. And then I'll go do that until it starts getting hard. And then I'll move on to someone else or something else that doesn't require sacrifice. In order to cling to someone or some circumstance, you accept the fact that there's going to be some personal sacrifice. Faithfulness requires it. Because if it was easy, there wouldn't be a need for faithfulness, right? If it was easy, I mean, everybody would be doing it. Faithfulness requires an element of sacrifice. And unfortunately, I find that a lot of people are not willing to sacrifice any of their own comforts in order to show faithfulness to someone else. It's almost as if that particular characteristic of a person is completely, you know, Honor is disregarded if it requires sacrifice. But Ruth was faithful to Naomi, not because it was, was going to be to her advantage, but because she loved and respected her mother-in-law. She loved her. She respected her. And she recognized that Naomi needed her to show faithfulness at that very dark moment of her life. Ruth was suffering too. She lost her husband. But she looked at her mother-in-law and she's like, you have lost, you've been taken to a foreign land. You gave up your identity. You lost your husband. You lost your sons. 
You have no grandchildren. There are no descendants. She's like, I'm hurting. I've got problems myself, but it is nothing in comparison to what you're feeling. I am not going to abandon you, no matter what you say, no matter how hard it is. I will cling to you during this time. Even if it made her own life harder by doing so, which it did. In verse 18, it says, When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. <laughs> I think she got mad. <laughs> she stopped. When she saw, she, she, you, I mean, she just told her, Do not tell me to abandon you again. She's like, fine, I'm not even talking to you. Let's go. I guess we all get that way sometimes. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? They remembered her from all those years ago, 10 years plus. They're like, Naomi, you're back. Tell us all the wonderful things that have happened in your life since you went out on your grand adventure. Tell us how it went. <laughs> Not quite the response they expected. This was an honest person. Verse 20. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Again, just listen to those words, the hopelessness that's there. She, ha she can't see anything good at this moment in her life. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She's like, Naomi, there was, there was a hint of the, the word basically means that there was pleasant. It was, I was going to have a pleasant life. This was supposed to be good. Don't call me that. Call me Mara because it means bitterness. Change my name to bitterness because this is what my life feels like. But the part that really is sad is I went away full. She had a husband and two sons and the future was bright. We're going to go and do this and we're going to get better. Our family's going to be stronger and our life is going to be blessed. We're so excited. And then it was difficulties and trials. And she's like, the Lord brought me back empty. A failure. He took everything away. The Lord has opposed me. The Almighty has afflicted me. What a painful place to be when you start to feel like it's the Lord who actually removed the blessings in your life. When you start feeling like, God, you did this to me. And all you know is emptiness. You know that he could have spared you the sorrows, but he didn't. But here's what she didn't know. Although she was right, and I know some people will argue with me on this, she was correct. It was the Lord who allowed this to happen. God was involved in this. Even if you say, well, no, it was Satan who did it, okay, yeah, maybe Satan did do that, but I'll tell you what, Satan can't do anything without the Lord allowing him to do it, okay? Because God is sovereign. So she was correct when she said, the Lord has afflicted me. 
And he allowed her to go through that dark time in life. The thing that she didn't know, it was the only path that was going to lead her to the place that she could not imagine. She had no idea, you know, that song, God Bless the Broken Road That Led Me to You, you know, that type of stuff. You know, we like singing that song, but I'll tell you what, when you're going through that song, you don't like it, <laughs> you know? You're cool when you get to the end, but in the midst of it, you don't like traveling that road. Nobody likes traveling that road. Nobody enjoys that. All she could see was the brokenness, and she would have never willingly journeyed the path that God was taking her on. She never would have. There's no way. She could have never imagined that a blessing would come through that tragic road that he is leading her on. And that's one of the things that we have as believers that non-believers don't have is we have the promise, and we sang a song today, there was a line in it, you know, that talks about the fact that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. And we, we may not understand how all this is going to come together to work for our, our good or God's good or anybody's good, but I'll tell you what, we have the promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We know that he's working something in it and through it. And we can trust him. Chapter 2 gives us a glimpse into what the Lord was really doing. In verse 1 it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Notice all the little things. First of all, Ruth, Ruth had to ask permission of Naomi. She humbled herself and subjugated herself to her and said, Is it okay if I go and gather grain because we need to eat? And then she said, Hopefully, someone will show me favor. She didn't even, it wasn't like they said, come here and you can do this and do, you know, we'll provide for you. You can do this. She's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to see what God will do. Hopefully, someone will show me favor. Can I go? She's like, yes, go. And it just so happened through whatever circumstances it was that she ended up in Boaz's part of the field. Again, you just look at God's, you know, just the way his divine appointments work. And he just works through little specific things, little, little bumps in the road. You know, it's like a pinball machine, you know, and you're bouncing around and, you know, and, and you end up in this one particular slot. You're like, how did I end up there? Well, that's how God works. He directs the pinballs, I guess, you know, in our lives. Verse 4, later when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me go gather the fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. 
She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and your mother in your native land and how you came to a people you did not previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she says, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I am not like one of your female servants. So Boaz heard of the tragedies that this young woman Ruth had experienced. And he also knew the sacrifice she had made to remain faithful to Naomi. It inspired him. It compelled him to want to see her blessed by God. He wanted to see her blessed. Never underestimate the effect that your perseverance has in the midst of very difficult circumstances. People are watching. We talked about that this morning, Janelle. People are watching. And it may be unexpected people that are watching you closely to see how you navigate through this very difficult time. Because Boaz looks at this, he goes, she lost her husband. She came to a foreign land just to take care sacrificially of her mother-in-law. I mean, this woman has given up everything and he just wanted desperately to see her blessed. He wanted to see God bless her. She couldn't even understand why he would show her such kindness because years of difficulties had hardened her to where she didn't even expect a good break in life. She got to that place where she's like, Things have been bad for so long. I don't even expect things to get better. And that's what hopelessness does. You get to the place where you're like, I just, you become pessimistic about everything. You just don't expect God to bless you in ways anymore. You're not even looking for it. You're not even asking for it in prayers anymore. You're just like, Lord, help me survive. Help me survive. That's the gist of your prayers nowadays. You don't expect blessings. You don't expect somebody to show you favor, unexpected favor. But the rest of chapter 2 kind of shows how Boaz began to give Ruth extra provisions and protections because he was going to do his best to make sure she was taken care of. God had softened his heart towards this woman in the midst of her despair. He softened his heart. In chapter 3, Naomi started to put the pieces together, and we're not going to read it, but what you'll see when you do it as your homework, you will see that she was starting to see the Lord's hand in all of this, which is amazing because Naomi had suffered for so long. It takes a lot in the midst of suffering to start to see God's hand again. She couldn't deny it though. She saw the pieces coming together. She's like, wait a second, you, hold on. It was Boaz that said this to you? That was a Himalek's relative. Of all the places you could have gone, you ended up in that field? And wait a second, he said, what? He's aware of your situation and she's now all of a sudden, there's this hope that's welling up within her, maybe small, but a little flame starts to flicker inside of her heart once again. And she's like, could it possibly be? I never even thought when I was trying to send you back to your people, I never in a million years thought that God would actually put you in a situation that someone could redeem you. 
That somebody, I, I forgot that this could happen. I forgot that something like this could take place. I've struggled for so long, I forgot that God can do unexpected things. I was in that pit of despair and I couldn't see good. I couldn't even see the option of good anymore in my life. She started getting excited about it. Then she starts telling her, this is what you need to do, Ruth. And she goes and comes up with this plan of, you know, go sit at his feet. And in that culture, that was the thing to do and lay down and just, you know, just tell him, express to him who you are and what your desires are. Tell him, which she did. Boaz, she found out, was more than willing to redeem her. He was willing to fulfill that role because in that particular culture, you know, if, if a family member died and you were the brother or something and the wife was a widow and they didn't have any children, it was encouraged that somebody would be that redeeming person that would come in, kinsman redeemer, and they would come in and they would basically marry them for themselves and they would have children and the name would go on so that it didn't just die with, with the gentleman who died. She told him that, he was willing to do that, but he understood something, that there was a closer relative that had first rights to fulfill that. He knew that, and he was a man of honor, and he's like, this can only take place if that person says no. So in chapter 4, Boaz brought this before the town's elders and the man that did have the first rights to this, and eventually they all came into an agreement that it would be best for Boaz to redeem uh, to redeem Ruth himself and to take her to be his wife. And he did. And they had a child. And God used that exact situation to bring about a blessing that none of them could have ever imagined was going to happen. Chapter 4, verse 17 says this, The neighbor women said, A son has been born to Naomi. Was it Ruth or Naomi? It's Ruth. But they recognize God did this for you, Naomi. A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You know who that David is? King David. Could you imagine the joy that Ruth had the day she first realized as now a great-grandmother. That God allowed her to go through all of those horrific circumstances to get her to the place where now her great-grandchild was the greatest king that ever lived up to that point, King David. Can you imagine the gratitude that flowed out of that woman knowing how could God take such a horrific circumstance and do something so amazing as this that I would be blessed to be the great-grandmother of King David. Because there was a point in her life where she was like, it'll never happen. I will never have another husband. I will never have another child. I will not have grandchildren. And little did she know what God was doing in the midst of those seemingly impossible circumstances. Not only would she have a child one day, a grandchild is what she was going to have, 
And it was going to come through a way that she never expected. Even more so, most of you know that not only did she have that in her lineage with King David, but one day she was going to be an answer to the greatest king that would ever come, King Jesus. When you go through the genealogies, you'll see it. Ruth is mentioned. And you think about that because she was a Gentile that got redeemed by a Jew. It's just like the magnitude of all the things that had to take place for that to be part of it. And it just amazes me every time I read Ruth in that genealogy because God could have skipped that and just left her out. But he's like, no, I do unexpected things sometimes that you would have never imagined. I get things done in ways that you could never plan for, even in the midst of despair. You know, it's easy to celebrate all, the, uh, all of Ruth's blessings in a story like this. You know, you see the sacrifice and you see the, you know, the hardship and trials and she overcame it. And you see her faithfulness and you, and you see, you know, God rewarded it. And we, we're like, yay, Ruth. Oh, man, she's such an amazing person. But we often don't talk about Naomi. We don't talk about Naomi. We, don't, we forget that she was the whole reason all of this was going on. Yes, God used Ruth in an amazing way, and she was an amazing young woman, and God blessed her. And we want that story, right? That's the story we want. We want the story of Ruth, not Naomi. Make my story like Ruth. Like, if I'm going to go through some bad stuff, redeem it in my lifetime so that I can celebrate and, and tell everyone all the good that you have done, Lord, through this circumstance. Let me be your trophy of Christianity so that I can say, look what God has done through my horrific circumstances, right? We want that testimony. We don't want the one like Naomi where it's like, I lost my husband, I lost my sons, I went through a horrific time, and God blessed Ruth. Because we want that blessing. We want that story. Here's the thing that you have to understand, though, in the grand scheme of things with God. Sometimes God allows us to suffer in order to be a blessing to someone else. And sometimes part of our stuff that we go through God is using to accomplish his greater plan, which he will accomplish through someone else, not you. I can promise you this, in eternity, Naomi is not like, God, couldn't have, you know, let me get supernaturally pregnant and then, hey, I don't know, give birth to the Messiah or something. I mean, couldn't you have done that? Made that just this, this Cinderella story that everyone would be like, wow, look at how God blessed Naomi, even though it was super hard, you know? Even Job, you did it for Job? Come on! I find that sometimes in this life, some people do go through hard things, and it doesn't always end up like the Cinderella story. But in eternity, they will see how God used that circumstance to really do something phenomenal for the future of other people. Maybe we'll get a glimpse of it. Naomi caught a glimpse of it. 
Maybe we'll get a glimpse of it in this life. Sometimes all you will have is a confident expectation that God is going to use this for good, even though you can't see it. And it's not wishful thinking. It's a confident expectation in the God of all hope. That's what it is. It's a confident expectation of Him. He's the God of all hope. He's the reason we have hope. And it doesn't always play out exactly like we thought it was. If there had never been a Naomi, there would have never been a Ruth. Just think about that. Ruth's name is in that genealogy. But Naomi had to go through everything she went through for the Lord to orchestrate all of the exact details that had to take place for that Messiah to come through that specific lineage. We rejoice in the faithfulness of Ruth, but we need to rejoice in the faithfulness of Naomi as well. Because even though she got to that place of despair where she's like, God hates me and he's trying to kill me and call me Mara. You know, I mean, she got to that place where she was really feeling it and she lost all hope. She eventually got to see some of that fruit of being faithful. And I just can't even imagine the joy she must have felt seeing Ruth be redeemed by Boaz and the child and then their child and then... King David, I just, I can't even imagine. It's pretty spectacular. These lives need to remind us and serve as a reminder to us as an example of, hope, of what to do when you feel like all, all hope is lost. What do you do when you feel like all hope is lost? You can't make yourself hopeful again but you can trust in the God of all hope. And you can hold on to that expectation until the time the Lord comes through and does what he's going to do, knowing it will be for good. And you can trust him in the midst of that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the example that you've given us in these people's lives. We go through things sometimes, Lord, and, and we don't understand them. I can only imagine what Naomi was thinking. I can only imagine what Ruth was going through. And we thank you, Lord, that, that you conquered those, those doubts and those fears and just all those things, Lord. You overcame them and you showed us that, that you work through hard circumstances sometimes to do greater things than we could ever even think of. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that your word is full of those examples. There's plenty of suffering and plenty of hardship that we see, and sometimes it doesn't always get explained. But Lord, we see where you are faithful continuously. So Lord, I just pray for any of us that are struggling with hope, where we feel like all hope is lost and it's never going to change and we're just going to have to deal with this and call me Mara because my life is miserable, you know? Lord, help us to get to that place where we can hold on to your faithfulness because we know that you are the God of all hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.